Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Cloud Unfiltered with your hosts, Andrew Horgan and Mike Chenitz. Today, we have Baskar, the VP of Engineering for uh, the Intersight um, solution, I should say, because it's really more of a, a set of pieces now, uh, but it's a cohesive solution. So we have him on today. How are you doing, Baskar? Hey, Mike. Hey, Andrew. Uh, glad to be here. Yeah, How's absolutely. We're glad to have you here. So tell me a little bit how you got into this, you know, this this kind of uh, path in your career. How did how did this all start, and and how did you end up in in this particular area of uh, you know expertise? Mike wants to understand how one becomes the VP of engineering. Is yes. what, he's, what he's really <laughs> trying to capture. <laughs> yes, that's if, it. If if I were to tell you that I had this all planned out, I would be lying. Uh, it was just. Uh, sequence of things uh, that uh, one led to the other, and I'm here. Uh, uh, right after college, I had this thing for startups. So I went through a series of startups, some awesome, some good, some bad, some ugly. Uh, but around 2009, I was looking for something a little bit more interesting in a larger company. And uh, I got a call from Cisco who said, hey, we are working on a project we haven't announced yet. Would you be interested? I had absolutely no idea what it was, but they put me through 11 interviews and it was one of the toughest interview sessions I've ever had. And I said, this should be interesting. And I took it up not knowing what it was. And it turned out to be UCS. So I joined Cisco to start off the management software team for UCS back in Bangalore. And UCS has had tremendous growth over the last decade. And as part of it, my career grew along with the product. And somewhere around 2015, August 2015, I moved to the US. Again, one thing led to the other. And five years later, here I am running engineering for the cloud and compute business with Intersight being part of the portfolio. Uh, so did I plan this all out? No, it was a sequence of events which happened to align being in the right place at the right time i would think uh, contributed to some part of it yeah but absolutely. it has been a fun ride it has been a fun 12 years yeah i mean it's it's a great group of people so you know i'm fortunate enough to work you know with all with everybody there and and andrew uh is is too and it's just been it's been a lot of fun yeah know, we should but... be uh we should be clear like let's let's just call <laughs> it out right baskar is in a lot of ways our boss so when this interview seems like it's extremely <laughs> awkward and stilted, it's because he controls our fate in his very hand. Um, so you, you mentioned UCS. Our, our, fates, our fates are all aligned, Andrew. Okay, yes, that is true. Um, when you when you mentioned UCS, so for people who maybe are, um, you know, let's be honest, they're Dell shops or HP shops. Um, from your perspective, what has the, uh, the success of the UCS platform been attributed to? And what are you doing to continue that success into the future? Uh, UCS itself, uh, I mean, stands for Unified Computing System. Uh, I mean, people tend to broadly attribute it or uh, refer to it as a server business. But right from day one, it is it is as true today as it was a decade ago, is we differentiate ourselves in terms of how we think about it along with fabric and management. Uh, so when we introduced it, we are very differentiated in terms of the simplicity of fabric management, how it aligns with fabric management. And we are heavy on policy-based management of systems. So when you 
when you manage one, when you manage two elements, it's a lot easier. But when you go to hundreds, thousands, ten thousands, uh, or even more than that, you would really need to rely on policy-based management. And that is one area where we are very, very strong. And we had a pretty healthy portfolio, but with Intersight, obviously, we are turbocharging it and uh, taking it to the next uh, order of uh, magnitude. Yeah, that's a that's an important detail because you know what a lot of people don't understand about the public cloud, right? Is that those policies are things that we take for granted, right? So mm-hmm. there are some people who are listening who probably grew up in the age of managing a UCS box and understand that there's literally a policy for every single thing you want to do. But if you're in a public cloud, you're not necessarily thinking about those policy and what's what's exposing northbound to you know all the southbound sort of activity and environment and resources that you have available to you. Sorry, Mike, I cut you off. Yeah, no, you know, I was just going to give a, a little bit of a, you know, tip tip to that because I remember, you know, um, setting up a huge uh, SAP install for a company pre-Cisco. And I remember that everything was tied to the MAC address. And I was thinking, you know, this is going to really be a pain if I have to, you know, uh, relicense all this stuff or redo something. And I think, I believe it was SAP. I'm pretty sure it was. Um, and... Uh, you know, and I, I remembered that that policy made it so that, you know, you could use those same MAC address and, and IDs and things like that so that, you know, you didn't have to redo all that kind of stuff. So it was really cool and it was really ahead of its time. And I was so excited when I first saw that come out and I was like, this is game changing. This is, you know, this is what it's going to be. And, you know, so it was really, really interesting to see that. Now, my question really is, um, you know, how do, how do we take that policy or how do we take that same kind of construct and and move it into what's relevant today? So things that you every obviously things are moving into the cloud more. Um, we're starting to see that convergence of private cloud and public cloud, and uh, we really need more private cloud type functions. So so tell us a little bit about how how we use things like UCS and HX and and Intersight together to kind of create that kind of construct. So, Mike, earlier when you were referring to the MAC address as an example, right, it is a dimension of state. So now, one of the difficult problems, whether you're dealing with servers, HCI, virtualized environments, containerized environments, what the fundamental problem is or the challenge is predictability, right? How do you make sure that two instances of what you're running are the same? Uh, they could differ in n number of different ways. It's a lot more easy for it, for it to be illustrated with uh, a piece of equipment. For example, if you were to buy a server, the state could be anything. MAC address is only one part of it. What about the firmware running on the system? What about the BIOS? What about the disk firmware? Everything. So policies give you that construct which gives you predictability. The policies themselves get mapped into some kind of a southbound interface and configuration, which essentially ensures that the setup you have behaves as you wanted it to be. You specify the intent and the system, the management system, the orchestration system, essentially does a set of operations in the back end so that the system it stands up for you is predictable. You know what it is. Now, whether it is UCS, whether it is Hyperflex, as I said, the policies you specify tend to be a little different. But at a high level, you specify the intent of what you want. You specify it as policies. And a system like Intersight translates it for you so that you get the system in that state. 
So one part of it, of course, is bringing up the system in that state. The other part of it is as you bring the systems up in the state where you have in with the with the configuration you want it to be in, there are always challenges, right? Every endpoint behaves differently. There are there are timing issues, there are dependency issues. So the orchestration system essentially takes all the best practices and codifies it so that your intent can be translated pretty cleanly. So with Intersight, what we have done is we've taken this framework of policies and profiles. A profile is something which brings together a bunch of policies and we have made it applicable to different domains. It could be the server domain, it could be the hyper-converged software domain, it could be for the virtualization domain or the container, uh, uh, container cluster domains. So we've taken the same set of pol uh, policies and profiles, bring it together in the same framework so that irrespective of the domain that you're working on, you could depend on the predictability of the systems coming up the way you want it to be. I feel like we I feel like we just played buzzword bingo and you hit like DevOps, you hit declarative, you hit the well and a difference to imperative. Um, so I guess, you know, are we are we entering a phase now where we've taken that on-prem policy and profiles and we're finding it almost crossing over with everything that's been happening in the public cloud? So with DevOps and and maybe the rise of Terraform and and even Ansible to a certain degree, are you seeing Intersight maybe as a kind of on a uh, collision course with that world um, as it exists today? More than a collision course, I would say probably aligned to it in terms of we had we had a set of challenges we were dealing with when it came to on-premises environments. And I think the cloud providers essentially showed us what agility should be with a whole number of services, a large number of services coming out all the time how do you kind of get the best of both worlds, right? You want the agility, but at the same time, you wanted the policies and predictability you had in the on-premises environment. And in some cases, you wanted to take the, you wanted to have that agility in your on-premises environment as well. So Intersight, yes, brings it together. Rather than a collision course, I would essentially say it aligns both of them. So interesting. So uh, in a previous podcast, we were talking to the CEO of Netlify and his argument mm -hmm. is that, you know, first of all, they're a web framework architecture that has, you know, some kind of CDN. And they, they're the creators of something called Jamstack that kind of created the infrastructure to, um, you know, to... Uh, to build stuff on the next gen infrastructure. And so he took it from a dev perspective, which I thought was very interesting. And he said that, you know, the developer really cares about the, um, the service to consume. A matter of fact, that if, if they could just consume a database or, you know, in terms of rows per minute or rows per second, and not even know what database is back, they'd be fine with that. They just need something to store, they need something, you know, added APIs to get stuff. And they really could care less about the infrastructure. And then you got the IT guys that are saying, hey, we want to control and govern and manage and do all this stuff. But, you know, they want that policy around it. But the DevOps guys are saying we need agility and we need all this other kind of stuff. So how do you manage those two worlds and kind of bring it all together? I mean, that's a hard thing to do. Oh, absolutely, Mike. Uh, again, at the end of the day, it's a world of applications. The applications solve certain business problems. So we don't wake up every morning and say, hey, I want to buy a server. You want to write a piece of code 
to solve a particular problem. And in the course of doing it, you end up thinking in terms of what is the infrastructure you need. So the there are there are challenges when it comes to managing systems. Uh, bringing up a set of elements on day zero is one part of the problem. Keeping it maintained, healthy, secure uh, during the course of its life cycle is a different set of problems. So now, one of the things when it comes to profile-based, policy-based deployments is for you to give it the agility that it needs, you have to think not just about how to expose it through the UI or through the CLI, but through API. Now, therein, there lies the significant difference. Systems in the last few years have transitioned to be completely API-based. UCS management and InterSight specifically has been API-based from day one. So now when you find that common linchpin, you can give developers the agility. The IT providers can give the developers the agility by tying these two systems together where the developer specifies that the, the service they want and that service requirements gets translated into configuration of a set of systems which are available, whether it is on-premises or in the public cloud. Yeah, so I think about this a lot lately, and this is really going to be more of an opinion question. Do you think we'll ever get to the state, or is this going too far, where we just kind of have a box where people can kind of consume services, but not really have to understand? We just, we manage the infrastructure. We kind of, you know, obscure all that stuff, but just provide maybe an API service for database, an API service for uh, disk, an API service for whatever. And people don't even have to manage the underlying anymore. Is that going too far or is that, you know, or is that you just, uh, I think you just <laughs> described public cloud, Mike. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, but I'm talking in the private <laughs> sense. Yes, you know, just give them the that, right? I think if anything serverless has, uh, probably got it closer to that state than ever before, right? Uh, you, you specify the business logic, but you're consuming a bunch of services and you're tying it together. So I guess uh, serverless brings it to that state. Uh, as much as as a developer you are using serverless, there's somebody behind the scenes who are making those services available for you. And yep. there is definitely a whole bunch of infrastructure behind it. As much as it is invisible to you, it still exists. Yeah. Yes, and, and cost. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, uh, no, good. Oh, I, I was just gonna, I was gonna pivot a little bit because, you know, it's not very often that you get, you know, we talk to a lot of CEOs, so the business side of the, the industry perspective is interesting, but it's not often that we get a VP of engineering on who's, who's living and breathing in the weeds every day. So, you know, part of what I, I was hoping to talk about a little bit too is, you know, you've mentioned InterSight a couple of times. I think it would be interesting to learn a little bit more about where the platform was being born from, especially as we've discussed this sort of transition, if you will, to the cloud, um, you know, especially for longtime Cisco listeners, I think they would be interested to understand, you know, like I remember being at one of my first, uh, um, I'll call it a developer day, but it, you know, just because people don't understand the internal nuances of Cisco. But I remember when Starship was being talked about, everybody was like, what's Starship? What's Starship? That's such a great name. Um, mm -hmm. And it was uh, a great name. I'm a, I'm a sucker for code names. So anyway, if you could give us like that historical perspective and then, you know, maybe we can talk a little bit about what it means to like deliver on one of these platforms, you know, one of these uh, mono, I'll say monolith, even though we all know it's microservices, but these monolithic giant 
cloud SaaS based platforms? That's a pretty good question. <laughs> that's a big one there, Andrew. Yeah, you gotta love when people say you that's break a that question. down a little. That's a good question. It's actually code for that was a terrible question. You just asked about fifteen in a row. So <laughs> it's uh, it requires <clears throat> a little bit of context, right? In the run up, in the run up to uh, Intersite, we were dealing with a whole slew of products. So you had products, you had element management products like UCS Manager. You want to manage a bunch of UCS servers, you used UCS Manager. But hey, if you went beyond a certain amount of scale, then you wanted to bring a bunch of UCS managers together. So you had UCS Central. <clears throat> You wanted to orchestrate a bunch of things. So you had UCS director, uh, you wanted to monitor performance, you had UCS performance manager. So sometime in the 2015, 2016 timeframe, we started looking at it as now with so many different point offerings, you are dealing with version challenges. Do I can I go from version 2.2 to 3.1 of something, and whether the 3.1 of something would work with 2.7 of something else? Uh, so this was a lot of products. So now, as we started thinking about it, we said, "Hey, the world is becoming a much more of a connected world today. We could solve this problem in using different tools, using connectivity as a solution." So sometime in 2016, we said, let's kick off a small proof of concept where we can take one of our existing products, connect it to a cloud-based entity, and as we release updates, can we roll it in? Can we try something on, even, even if it is an on-premises product, can it connect black back to the cloud? Connectivity kind of existed at that point in time. People used it for very limited things. People used it for something like a smart call home where there is a problem, you send a message outside. But can it be bi-directional communication? Can it be something where you are keeping yourself constantly updated? So one thing led to the other. The ideas kind of fed on each other. <clears throat> and we said, we need to get to a world which is as versionless as possible. We shouldn't be playing these, these or spending anybody's time on version compatibility to, uh, to the maximum possible extent. Even today, it is impossible to do away with it, uh, but you want to minimize it, right? We wanted to use connectivity to re reduce the operational time somebody spent on it. Uh, say, for example, uh, going back to servers, perhaps when you have a challenge, uh, when you have a when you have an issue with the dim as an example you want to pull out the tech support you want to do the analysis you want to make uh, make a decision immediately on whether that is something which needs to be replaced or it's a configuration issue whatever the case may be right typically it required a lot of people to be involved now since we have the connectivity now you can essentially put a, you can push a piece of intelligence which says do steps x y z collect the data Send, send back the data, we will do the analysis and we will turn around and tell you what are the next steps. So as we started thinking about as a service, as a concept, right? I mean, because now if you can keep yourself updated, you're now thinking about it as a service. When typically, when you think about as a service, people think about something which is running on the cloud. But 
when we started thinking about management as a service, we said it shouldn't matter where the code runs. A piece of code can be running on the cloud. A piece of code can be running on an equipment within the data center somewhere. But we should be able to manage it as one large dynamic system. So with Intersight, you have a couple of things. One is the set of elements which run on the cloud itself. Yes, it's a microservices-based architecture, completely cloud-native, built for scale, which runs on the cloud. But Intersight cannot do what it does without it having a certain pieces of code which need to be in the vicinity of the equipment which is being managed, equipment where the operations are being orchestrated, that locality helps. Having the right piece of code running on the right places allows you to do things which you can otherwise not do. For example, today, if you take a UCS server and, uh, and plug it into one of our switches, we automatically get notifications and we do a bunch of things as a result of that locality. So with Intersight, we started putting together this system, this platform, which gave the framework, whatever we spoke about earlier in terms of profiles policies, we built it in a way where it is across, it can be used across domains. And we also built a framework where pieces of code can be pushed dynamically to an endpoint and thereby giving you intelligence, not just for pieces of code which were running on the cloud, but it can be, it can give you that intelligence for the endpoint as well. Now, once we had this framework in place, it became comparatively easy for us to use it across domains. We started with UCS, then we extended it to Hyperflex. Now we are even working with partners to make some of the capabilities available on the Intersight platform. You have probably seen something like uh, Intersight Workload Optimizer, which we announced uh, uh, late last year, which gives you the ability to analyze your uh, usage across the domains and it gives you the intelligence where it tells you, it gives you the actions you need to perform for better performance, uh, better cost uh, and better compliance, right? But everything uses the same framework. And right now we are on the verge of releasing Intersight Kubernetes uh, service, which is actually a reimagined, uh, re re-implemented version of Cisco Container Platform, which again takes the same thing. How do you provide it as a service and you push a piece of code to the endpoints where you can get the service you have, which gives you the functionality you want? So the framework is pretty broad. The Intersight as a framework uh, can be used for multiple domains. And now that we have built it, we are bringing together the adjacent domains which are needed, which are related so that the IT uh, operational uh, team can give you a much more of a comprehensive solution. So, yeah. That was, by the way, that was an excellent history lesson. I mean, honestly, yeah. it was great because I'm new to this group. And so understanding, you know, what Intersight has become since the Starship days, you know, the code name, mm -hmm. um, it's great. It's great to hear about the journey and and so on and so forth. Um, sorry, Mike. Uh, you no, question. no, go. So yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. And just you know, you know, Andrew and I came over from the from the uh, cloud center side when we came mm -hmm. over and first you know before we joined the team. We're and we're adjacent. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm doing my um, air quotes. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it's interesting to see you know some of the. Um, 
you know, some of the integrations that we're doing into Intersight and, and how that affects in a lot of different ways. So it affects in that, you know, when you have a lot of products like we did before, it's great that we have them, but you also have salespeople. And so when you have salespeople, you have to have salespeople selling a lot of different products, which is not necessarily the best thing to do in a company. So when you bring them all together and create single unified messages, it's it's always better that way. And also it's better from a uh, you know technology standpoint because you could have you know interesting um interactions where certain people can do things with uh you know uh the 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 hardware and the virtualization and then they can hand it off and it's also you know the way that we also do consumption so you you hit on it a little bit before but you know basically uh you know the it folks can uh you know consume it in the gui and set up policies and governance and you know it's interesting because now we have this devops persona and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm getting to a question here <laughs> um, but the devops persona is uh is even equally interesting because we have things like terraform and they can consume it in the way they want so you know coming from cisco which is known for networking and for security and for now ser well servers for the last few years and, you know, how do we get that message out there? That's the interesting thing, you know, to say, okay, DevOps people, we actually have an answer for you now, you know, so what's your opinion on something like that? Uh, Mike, we are of the, of the strong opinion that API is the new UI. Everything we do in the system has to be accessible through APIs. Now, the APIs themselves sometimes are consumed directly. Uh, but uh, very often they are consumed through another layer of tools. So I think you called out Terraform. Terraform is a perfect example, right? Terraform gives you a way for you to combine uh, elements from different domains, put together a plan and allows you to deploy it. So for example, uh, for example, one of the things we did is we have a Terraform provider for Intersight. So people can stand up the environment and a, dev, a DevOps persona, when they want to say, for example, spin up a bunch of VMs or spin up a bunch of uh, container clusters, they could deploy it as a Terraform plan as they would normally do. So uh, to, to cross the chasm is to make everything available in the tools of the person who's using it. This is, this is the same thing as uh, any piece of communication, right? I mean, uh, for, for you to understand me, I need to speak in a language which you would understand or vice versa. So it's the same thing when we talk about these two worlds. We, we make it available to the tools which developers would like to use. And that's, that's essentially what we are doing with Intersight APIs, providers, uh, with the various SDKs, the PowerShell bindings and uh, Python bindings, etc. Are there any um, are there any external API tools, if you will, like Terraform? You mentioned Terraform that um, excite you that maybe uh, are already popular and, and you appreciate their take on that sort of API first world, or or conversely, things that maybe people aren't talking about yet. I know you mentioned serverless is another one. Uh, just curious if you you know looking out in the industry, what what's new and exciting and upcoming uh, in that sort of API first world. Uh, Terraform is definitely high up there. I think it has a lot of visibility right now. It has a lot of adoption. There are a lot of different interesting ones out there. 
I think Pulumi is very, very interesting. It gives an API and a programmatic twist on uh, APIs themselves. Uh, it, it's, uh, I find Pulumi rather interesting. Definitely, you have the Ansibles of the world. And of course, Intersite itself has its own ability to orchestrate across APIs and domains. So there is an Intersite cloud orchestration, uh, orchestrator dimension as well to that. That's great. That's great. One of the things I, I wanted to go back and revisit a little bit, because I know personally we, we come up across this a lot, is when you're talking to the IT operators, um, you know, they're generally of the mindset of you can pry my domain element manager, my on-prem domain element manager out of my dead cold hands. Uh, because I will, I refuse to go to the public cloud. There's security concerns. There's networking concerns. So obviously, you guys address that as part of your sort of connectivity framework. But I'm curious, like, how do you how do you speak to that persona? How do you address that? I mean, obviously, this is a little bit sales pitchy, but I'm curious, like, you know, what do you say to those people who are holding on to maybe the the UCSM days of the world and 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 they're not really addressing this new paradigm of centralized platform management? Uh, nearly everyone is going through a transition of some sort. It is it could be a technology transition when they are going to cloud or cloud native, but similarly, everyone is going through the transition of being comfortable with connectivity. So when they are, I mean, I think even in our personal lives, I think we are more connected today than we were 10 years ago. And we are probably sharing more information about ourselves uh, publicly than we did 10 years ago, right? Uh, a little bit of that does translate to organizations as well. So when we built Intersight, if we were to say that, hey, I shall be only cloud uh, delivered, we knew that we may not be able to cater to our entire customer base. Uh, again, customers, as I said, they are going through a transition themselves. So as we built Intersite, we made a few technology choices. We essentially said that if a customer is not willing to come to the cloud in their entirety, can we meet them halfway? So we do have multiple deployment options for Intersite. The SaaS delivered version of it is the most used one, but we also have a version, which is, we call it the connected virtual appliance, where we have the intersites logic and the code, which runs in a virtual appliance within the customer's premises. And the only connectivity it uses to the external world is to pull down updates. But then you always have another class of customers who are not gonna be connecting outside to the external world at all. And that's that's why we had to release the private virtual appliance, which absolutely requires no connectivity. Instead of updates getting pulled out, you will have to download the updates and take it to the appliance. So you have this entire spectrum, SaaS, connected virtual appliance, and the private virtual appliance. Now, in certain certain class of customers, say something like uh, defense customers, you know that they want it to be private, absolutely. But for most of the others, they are comfortable between these two. So we've had customers who started off with the connected virtual appliance. Once they became a little bit more comfortable with connecting out to the cloud, uh, they started connecting to the SaaS delivered version of Intersight directly. At the end of the day, I think it is a journey. And amongst other things, we publish everything that we have done to keep things secure. And uh, it finally comes down to the dialogue with the customers where they become 
comfortable with the security stance, the, the steps which have been taken to secure their data and isolate their data. And once they are comfortable, as they see the value of them not having to manage the management software itself. I was just right. about to say that. I think we've harped on that a few times in the podcast in the past. And then, and it really comes down to where are you going to derive the most business value from? So if you want your engineering team or your IT operations team to be focusing on new skills like Ansible and Terraform or, or you know, um, you know, looking at cloud native solutions in the public cloud, you've got to free up their bandwidth. And if their bandwidth right now is consumed with maintaining a plethora of different disparate products, they're, they're needing to manage different domains with different uh, controllers, right? That opportunity potentially uh, will arise and you're stuck in that same sort of dead end scenario that you were in 2010 where when UCS launched, right? Not, you know, not to say that there was anything wrong with that back mm -hmm. then, but there's a solution today. And the solution today is, you know, let somebody else worry about the operation of your platform and that way you can focus on delivering direct business value. Yeah, I think, Absolutely. I think that's I think a, the, yeah, good. Sorry. No, no, no. I, I think that's right on. The management system shouldn't have to be managed. Absolutely. I think that's, that's key there. I mean, when you look at it, I mean, especially in the Kubernetes realm, I mean, Kubernetes is such a like wild, wild west right now. There's so many different components. You look at the CNCF, there's about a, a million different product uh, projects on there. And everybody's kind of trying to fight for their piece of it. So you have to kind of, you know, if you're somebody coming into that and you're saying, okay, first, how do I install it? First of all, which is, you know, there's, there's many different ways to install it. Do you do a bare metal? Do you do a virtualized? Do you do it? You know, what are the methods that you, you want to do? And what's, what's the business case? And then how do you scale it up? How do you scale it down? What's your network layer? What's your load balancers? All these things become very hard and very intimidating to somebody that's just getting into it. When you look at the stats, Kubernetes, even though it has a great, you know, acceptance, it's still a relatively small piece of the pie compared to everything else that's out there right now. And it's growing and it's going to continue to grow. But the, the, the reason why I mentioned that is because, you know, when you think about building Intersight and like, you know, like you have done and we have done, I should say, is, um, you know, we made some good decisions there. One of the things is putting the control plane in the cloud because now you have nothing to deploy. You can make it very easy. We have a kind of, uh, you know, automatic out of the box, you know, Calico and Nginx made those decisions automatically. So I think it becomes a really interesting paradigm in that, you know, you get these people that already understand IT, you grip, bring them in a familiar environment, and then you're also, uh, you know, answering this DevOps question, which is really, really coming up. It's really interesting to see, you know, how much these two personas are coming up these days. It's so, so interesting. But I think Absolutely. that the, mm -hmm. the key here is that, you know, bringing those two worlds together. And that is a really hard thing to do. And I think that uh, Intersight itself has, is a really good answer to that. Um, so, you know, I'd kind of I'd leave it there, Andrew. And one of the one of the common questions we used to get from our customers is, "Hey, what if I lose connectivity to the cloud?" Right. Yep. Uh, as much as uh, it is a comparatively rare event, uh, that question comes up a fair bit. Uh, that's where uh, the the earlier in the earlier part of uh, this podcast, I was referring to the right code needs to run at the right place. So there are pieces of code which needs to have that locality. They need to run close to the system. So. As part of this architecture, it was 
there is a control plane which is running on the cloud, but the control plane can, in some sense, extend itself and run a piece of code, a blob, which runs within the data center. And in doing so, even if you were to lose the connectivity, the operations, the systems which were already running, they continue to run without any issues, right? That that essentially is the essential part of the architecture we put together. Yeah, and I think that brings up a lot of other good uh, kind of value props. You know, when we think about Edge and IOT and all these other kinds of things that you want to put out there, you know, you need a central kind of management plane. So what's your thought on things like Edge and, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, people using Edge for AI and doing things like that? You know, what, what, do, you, what do you think, uh, how, do, how do you think that interacts with that kind of play? When it, when it comes to Edge, again, it becomes management at scale, right? You have to make the technology choices. And I think if anything, we have more technology choices today than ever before. Uh, you touched upon this thing about uh, CNCF when you go there. Uh, I mean, I've, I've heard jokes about how you need to rent out super, uh, super computing <laughs> time to come up with a CNCF chart, uh, right? Uh, it, it's it's a it's a fractured world uh, with a lot of choices, but uh, we will park that problem for another day. Uh, but we have technology which which allows things to happen. So today it is a very agile world, especially in the world of serverless. You can the unit of code you ship right now is just a function, right? Earlier we we could only think about shipping these entire blobs or packages which update the entire system. Now you can enter update part of the system. But again, it goes back to the management of large things at, at scale uh, with, with Edge. I think today we do have the technology choices to make it happen, as I said. But what if you had to update 10,000, 100,000 systems? What if some of them were not accessible for a short period of time? What if uh, a, a single piece of equipment or a piece of software went bad and you had to replace it? How do you normalize it and bring it back to the state from where you replaced it to what it should be? So there are a lot of operational problems we need to look at. Uh, so, uh, I mean, whether it is intersite or as a domain in general, I think uh, edge as uh, edge edge services are seeing an explosive growth. Uh, it finally comes down to the winners in this area will be those who can allow, can give you the tools to manage at scale, give you the predictability, even though it's probably distributed in 10,000 different sites. You're, you're bringing up a really good point in that I think a lot of people, you know, they'll look at servers as I'll say a bit of commodity, right? Like a pizza box is a pizza box, a Intel CPU is an Intel CPU, not to undermine you know, UCS, for example. But, um, you know, the thing that a lot of people don't think about is when you go to some of these off the shelf white box solutions, potentially, uh, you know, you're, you're not maybe thinking about that that edge case and, and pun very much intended in that regard where it's, you know, you need a platform that's going to scale with you and it's going to grow with you depending on your use cases. So, you know, today, maybe standing up a thousand pops uh, at a cell site is not a concern for your business, but you know, in the world of COVID, there's a lot of concerns that we didn't have last year that we have now. Um, and so these are things that, you know, maybe as you're evaluating the market and this is a little bit soapboxy, but you know, things to think about, right? It's not just the raw output of the box itself. It's also the, uh, the software that's in charge of managing it, which I think cloud has done a good job of 
helping us move away from, you know, there was a, there was a period in time where, you know, people were very opinionated and, and they were feverish about who they bought from. And I think cloud and AWS and Azure, you know, they, they kind of blew that model up a little bit. Um, but now I think you see the dust settling and you realize there is a time and a place for, uh, you know, for a management platform to, to be a little bit more centralized, a, a little bit, you know, to, to be a fan of something, uh, I think is, is still acceptable. When, when everything works, it's never a problem, right? I mean, yeah, it's, awesome. <laughs> it's, it's when things start going wrong uh, that the difference starts piling up or the effort starts piling up. Uh, I mean, we did talk about what if you replaced a network card? What if you replaced a disk? Any of this could have uh, an implication on the performance and you have to bring it back to a known state. But the other dimension which we probably don't talk about enough is the security dimension. The attack vectors today are all over the place. It's anywhere from uh, how you can you can figure out by a piece of code running on a core about who what's going on in somewhere else to uh, you and and of course you have defects as well. I mean you have something like uh, hey if a certain disk uh, with a certain firmware has been running for a certain number of hours you might run into a problem, right? All of this adds up to operational challenges. So again we put together a framework in Intersight. We call it Intersight Advisories, right? It it feeds into reducing that operational load, right? So when you're managing things at scale, how do you know again that a problem is not going to impact you, right? The easier we make it for you, problems happen in the real world. Problems happen. It's about how do we how do we flag it? How do we react to it? How do we plan the time it takes and the steps it takes to remediate a situation? We want to make it easier for you. Yes, it's unfortunate sometimes that people think about servers as a commodity, but uh, again, when things go wrong, <laughs> that's when uh, the difference between a well-designed system and a system shows up. Yeah, yeah, and to, and to bring it, you know, down to simplified, you know, kind of uh, ideas here is that, you know, at the end of the day, what people really care about today more than anywhere else is, you know, we're 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 past the command lines, we're past all of that kind of stuff. We we mm -hmm. are. We are an information gathering society. So, you know, that started with, you know, probably social networks and the internet and everything like that. But people want analytics. People want to be able to troubleshoot. People want to be able to manage. And people want to be able to consume things in the, in the way that they're accustomed to consuming things. I mean, that's really the big pillars of, you know, what people want to do in IT. And if you could answer those questions and make it as simplified as possible, I think that's when you have a, a big winner. I mean, you look at things like Meraki, which is part of our portfolio. Meraki made it very simple to attach things together. You didn't have to understand VPN protocols. You could just kind of mm -hmm. connect things, uh, you know, and, and as you do these things and you connect things together and kind of, you know, make those integrations and simplify and show people kind of that overlay, that analytical overlay of what's going on, that makes it really, really interesting. I remember the first time I used AppDynamics in a company before, previous to this, I, you know, mm -hmm. we would spend hours in a boardroom trying to figure out and pointing fingers. Who did this? Who did that? Who did this? And we would all point at each other. It's the network team. It's the server team. It's, you know, whatever. And then we put AppDynamics in and, 
you know, it was like, okay, well, here we could see that the call went out. It took 32 seconds. The database is making the wrong query, and somebody did a database update, and the database, here's the particular piece of SQL that's causing the problem, you know? <laughs> so, you know, that's the kind of level that people want these days because it, it takes that time to, to troubleshoot down. It pinpoints what they're doing, and it keeps that performance up. You know, so I think, you know, just as a commentary, that's the kind of things that, you know, that uh, that we're seeing in, in all the talks that we've had here. Absolutely. So, Mike, I think, uh, and you touched upon a rather important uh, or a key topic there. So it's a world of data, but then data is comparatively easy. Intelligence is a lot harder. Absolutely. Uh, but But for you to pull out the intelligence, you need the data to start with. So uh, whether it is the edge, whether it is the data, uh, data center or anything else, first, you need access to data. So this is where going back to my point about it being a connected world, it allows you to collect data. Uh, you, when you collect data from 10,000 endpoints, 100,000 endpoints, a million endpoints, you have more data to work with. There are There's more data to discern patterns with. And once you have the data, then you have the code that can give you the intelligence. You, you figure out the intelligence from there. Uh, going back to at least one dimension of InterSight or the InterSight workload optimizer, we collect data from multiple domains. And as a result of data available from multiple domains and correlation of the dependencies between each of this, Similar to the AppDynamics example, you essentially said AppDynamics give you, gives you relationships between the pieces of code and the interactions. But what if it cuts across domains? What if it cuts across a computer, network, uh, storage, uh, and, uh, and uh, code, right? When, say, for instance, a piece of code you were using was is running slow now, it could be because of the code itself, because you hadn't tested the ranges, and for the certain ranges, uh, the, the the algorithm is off, or it could be because the network is oversubscribed or the CPU is oversubscribed. It could be any number of things. So at least with the workload optimizer, we collect the data and we give you the intelligence so that you can essentially see how the relationship of one domain, what is the effect one domain has on the other when either it is oversubscribed or it is slow or whatever the case may be. Context matters is, is I think Absolutely. going back to a, a point that you made at the very top of the hour, uh, and this might be a good way to, to wrap it up, but context is very important when you start considering your management platforms you, and you consider how you, what you want to do with the data that you've gathered um, as a result. So, yes, uh, so um, Mike, you want to sign us off? Uh, you know, you do a really good job at that. So I, I might leave that up to you. You know, I'm good at the sign on. I'm kind of the sign on guy. You get yeah, the sign off guy. That's totally fair. So, um, you know, just want to want to thank everybody um, for listening this week. Um, obviously, a very special thank you to Baskar. Hopefully, um, absolutely. Hopefully we get our bonuses this year. We'll, we'll see. Um, but, you know. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. There, as always, there'll be um, some links in the show notes, um, you know, some call to actions, if you will. If you're interested in morning, learning more about Intersight, um, feel free to uh, to Google, you know, Intersight, uh, and it should hopefully be the first hit. Uh, and there's a lot of exciting things happening in the platform. And I actually think there's there's a free tier as well. So if if you're interested in just kind of kicking the tires on it, even if you're not a UCS or an HX legacy Cisco customer, there's lots of exciting things happening in the platform. And I think it's worth, uh, it's worth looking into.
Yeah, actually, there's no free tier, but we have your credit card, Andrew. So we'll just put it on there. So don't worry about it. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Baskar. Once yeah, again, thank you very much. Mike, Andrew, thanks for having me. It was here. awesome. It was fun. Yeah, thank you. absolutely. All right. Bye. Hold Bye. on.